Chapter Two of the Great Impersonation. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. The Great Impersonation by E. Phillips Oppenheim. Chapter Two. Dominey slept till late the following morning, and when he woke at last from a long, dreamless slumber, he was conscious of a curious quietness in the camp. The doctor, who came in to see him, explained it immediately after his morning greeting. "'His Excellency,' he announced, "'has received important dispatches from home. He has gone to meet an envoy from Dar es Salaam. He will be away for three days. He desired that you would remain his guest until his return.' "'Very good of him,' Dominey murmured. "'Is there any European news?' "'I do not know,' was the stolid reply. His Excellency desired me to inform you that if you cared for a short trip along the banks of the river southward, there are a dozen boys left and some ponies. There are plenty of lion and rhino may be met with at one or two places which the natives know of. Dominey bathed and dressed, sipped his excellent coffee, and lounged about the place in uncertain mood. He unburdened himself to the doctor as they drank tea together late in the afternoon. I am not in the least keen on hunting, he confessed, and I feel like a horrible sponge, but all the same I have a queer sort of feeling that I'd like to see Conragastein again. Your silent man rather fascinates me, Herr Doctor. He is a man. He has something which I have lost. He is a great man, the doctor declared enthusiastically. What he sets his mind to do, he does. I suppose I might have been like that, Dominey sighed if I had had an incentive. Have you noticed the likeness between us, Herr Doctor? The latter nodded. I noticed it from the first moment of your arrival, he assented. You are very much alike, yet very different. The resemblance must have been still more remarkable in your youth. Time has dealt with your features, according to your deserts. Well, you don't need to rub it in, Dominey protested irritably. I am rubbing nothing in, the doctor replied with unruffled calm. I speak the truth. If you had been possessed of the same moral stamina as His Excellency, you might have preserved your health and the things that count. You might have been as useful to your country as he is to his. I suppose I am pretty rocky. Your constitution has been abused. You still, however, have much vitality. If you care to exercise self-control for a few months, you would be a different man. You must excuse. I have worked. Dominey spent three restless days. Even the sight of a herd of elephants in the river and that strange fierce chorus of night sounds as beasts of prey crept noiselessly around the camp failed to move him. For the moment his love of sport, his last hold upon the world of real things, seemed dead. What did it matter, the killing of an animal more or less? His mind was fixed uneasily upon the past, searching always for something which he failed to discover. At dawn he watched for that strangely wonderful, transforming birth of the day, and at night he sat outside the banda, waiting till the mountains on the other side of the river had lost shape and faded into the violet darkness. His conversation with von Ragastein had unsettled him. Without knowing definitely why, he wanted him back again. Memories that had long since seized the torture were finding their way once more into his brain. On the first day he had striven to rid himself of them in the usual fashion, 
"'Doctor, you've got some whiskey, haven't you?' he asked. The doctor nodded. "'There is a case somewhere to be found,' he admitted. "'His Excellency told me that I was to refuse you nothing, but he advises you to drink only the white wine until his return.' "'He really left that message?' "'Precisely as I have delivered it.' The desire for whiskey passed, came again, but was beaten back, returned in the night so that he sat up with the sweat pouring down his face and his tongue parched. He drank lithia water instead. Late in the afternoon of the third day von Ragastein rode into the camp. His clothes were torn and drenched with the black mud of the swamps. Dust and dirt were thick upon his face. His pony almost collapsed as he swung himself off. Nevertheless he paused to greet his guest with punctilious courtesy, and there was a gleam of real satisfaction in his eyes as the two men shook hands. "'I am glad that you are still here,' he said heartily. "'Excuse me while I bathe and change. We will dine a little earlier. So far I have not eaten to-day.' "'A long trek?' Dominey asked curiously. "'I have trekked far,' was the quiet reply. At dinner-time von Ragastein was once more himself, immaculate in white duck with clean linen, shaved, and with little left of his fatigue. There was something different in his manner, however, some change which puzzled Dominey. He was at once more attentive to his guest, yet further removed from him in spirit and sympathy. He kept the conversation with curious insistence upon incidents of their school and college days, upon the subject of Dominey's friends and relations, and the later episodes of his life. Dominey felt himself all the time encouraged to talk about his earlier life, and all the time he was conscious that, for some reason or other, his host's closest and most minute attention was being given to his slightest word. Champagne had been served, and served freely, and Dominey, up to the very gates of that one secret chamber, talked volubly and without reserve. After the meal was over their chairs were dragged as before into the open. The silent orderly produced even larger cigars, and Dominey found his glass filled once more with the wonderful brandy. The doctor had left them to visit the native camp nearly a quarter of a mile away, and the orderly was busy inside clearing the table. Only the black shapes of the servants were dimly visible as they twirled their fans, and overhead the gleaming stars. They were alone. "'I've been talking an awful lot of rot about myself,' Dominey said. Tell me a little about your career now, and your life in Germany before you came out here. Von Ragastein made no immediate reply, and a curious silence ebbed and flowed between the two men. Every now and then a star shot across the sky. The red rim of the moon rose a little higher from behind the mountains. The bush stillness, always the most mysterious of silences, seemed gradually to become charged with unvoiced passion. Soon the animals began to call around them, creeping nearer and nearer to the fire which burned at the end of the open space. "'My friend,' von Ragastein said at last, speaking with the air of a man who has spent much time in deliberation, "'you speak to me of Germany, of my homeland. Perhaps you have guessed that it is not duty alone which has brought me here to these wild places. I, too, left behind me a tragedy.' Dominey's quick impulse of sympathy was smothered by the stern, almost harsh repression of the other's manner. The words seemed to have been torn from his throat. 
there was no spark of tenderness or regret in his set face. Since the day of my banishment, he went on, no word of this matter has passed my lips. Tonight it is not weakness which assails me, but a desire to yield to the strange arm of coincidence. You and I, schoolmates and college friends, though sons of a different country, meet here in the wilderness each with the iron in our souls. I shall tell you the thing which happened to me, and you shall speak to me of your own curse. I cannot, Dominey groaned. But you will, was the stern reply. Listen. An hour passed, and the voices of the two men had ceased. The howling of the animals had lessened with the paling of the fires, and a slow melancholy ripple of breeze was passing through the bush and lapping the surface of the river. It was von Ragastein who broke through what might almost have seemed a trance. He rose to his feet, vanished inside the banda, and reappeared a moment or two later with two tumblers. One he set down in the space provided for it in the arm of his guest's chair. "'Tonight I break what has become a rule with me,' he announced. "'I drink a whiskey and soda. I shall drink to the new things that may yet come to both of us.' "'You are giving up your work here?' Dominey asked curiously. "'I am part of a great machine,' was the somewhat evasive reply. "'I have nothing to do but obey.' A flicker of passion distorted Dominey's face, flamed for a moment in his tone. "'Are you content to live and die like this?' he demanded. "'Don't you want to get back to where a different sort of sun will warm your heart and fill your pulses? This primitive world is in its way colossal, but it isn't human.' It isn't a life for humans. We want streets, von Ragastein, you and I. We want the tide of people flowing around us, the roar of wheels and the hum of human voices. Curse these animals! If I live in this country much longer, I shall go on all fours. You yield too much to the environment, his companion observed. In the life of the cities you would be a sentimentalist. No city nor any civilized country will ever claim me again, Dominey sighed. I should never have the courage to face what might come. Von Ragastein rose to his feet. The dim outline of his erect form was, in a way, majestic. He seemed to tower over the man who lounged in the chair before him. Finish your whiskey and soda to our next meeting, friend of my school days, he begged. Tomorrow, before you awake, I shall be gone. "'So soon?' "'By tomorrow night,' von Ragastein replied, "'I must be on the other side of those mountains. This must be our farewell.' Dominey was querulous, almost pathetic. He had a sudden hatred of solitude. "'I must trek westward myself directly,' he protested. "'Or eastward, or northward. It doesn't so much matter. Can't we travel together?' Von Ragastein shook his head. I travel officially, and I must travel alone, he replied. As for yourself, they will be breaking up here tomorrow, but they will lend you an escort and put you in the direction you wish to take. This, alas, is as much as I can do for you. For us it must be farewell. Well, I can't force myself upon you, Dominey said a little wistfully. It seems strange, though, to meet right out here, far away even from the byways of life, just to shake hands and pass on. I am sick to death of niggers and animals. It is fate, von Ragastein decided. Where I go, I must go alone. Farewell, dear friend. 
we will drink the toast we drank our last night in your rooms at Magdalen. That Sanskrit man translated it for us. May each find what he seeks. We must follow our star. Dominey laughed a little bitterly. He pointed to a light glowing fitfully in the bush. My will of the wisp, he muttered recklessly, leading where I shall follow, into the swamps. A few minutes later Dominey threw himself upon his couch, curiously and unaccountably drowsy. Von Ragenstein, who had come in to wish him good night, stood looking down at him for several moments with significant intentness. Then, satisfied that his guest really slept, he turned and passed through the hanging curtain of dried grasses into the next banda, where the doctor, still fully dressed, was awaiting him. They spoke together in German and with lowered voices. Von Ragenstein had lost something of his imperturbability. "'Everything progresses according to my orders?' he demanded. "'Everything, Excellency. The boys are being loaded, and a runner has gone on to Vadihuan for ponies to be prepared. They know that I wish to start at dawn.' "'All will be prepared, Excellency.' Von Ragenstein laid his hand upon the doctor's shoulder. "'Come outside, Schmidt,' he said. "'I have something to tell you of my plans.' The two men seated themselves in the long wicker chairs, the doctor in an attitude of strict attention. Von Ragenstein turned his head and listened. From Dominey's quarters came the sound of deep and regular breathing. "'I have formed a great plan, Schmidt,' Von Ragenstein proceeded. "'You know what news has come to me from Berlin?' "'Your Excellency has told me a little,' the doctor reminded him. "'The day arrives,' Von Ragenstein pronounced, his voice shaking with deep emotion. He paused a moment in thought and continued. The time, even the month, is fixed. I am recalled from here to take the place for which I was destined. You know what that place is? You know why I was sent to an English public school and college? I can guess. I am to take up my residence in England. I am to have a special mission. I am to find a place for myself there as an Englishman. The means are left to my ingenuity. Listen, Schmidt. A great idea has come to me. The doctor lit a cigar. I listen, Excellency. Von Ragenstein rose to his feet. Not content with the sound of that regular breathing, he made his way to the opening of the banda and gazed in at Dominey's slumbering form. Then he returned. It is something which you do not wish the Englishman to hear, the doctor asked. It is. We speak in German. Languages, was the cautious reply, happened to be that man's only accomplishment. He can speak German as fluently as you or I. That, however, is of no consequence. He sleeps, and he will continue to sleep. I mixed him a sleeping draught with his whiskey and soda. Ah, the doctor grunted. My principal need in England is an identity, von Ragenstein pointed out. I have made up my mind. I shall take this Englishman's. I shall return to England as Sir Everett Dominey. So, there is a remarkable likeness between us, and Dominey has not seen an Englishman who knows him for eight or ten years. Any school or college friends whom I may encounter I shall be able to satisfy. I have stayed at Dominey. I know Dominey's relatives. Tonight he has babbled for hours, telling me many things that it is well for me to know. But about his near relatives? He has none nearer than cousins. No wife? 
Von Ragestein paused and turned his head. The deep breathing inside the banda had certainly ceased. He rose to his feet and, stealing uneasily to the opening, gazed down upon his guest's outstretched form. To all appearance Dominey still slept deeply. After a moment or two's watch Von Ragestein returned to his place. "'Therein lies his tragedy,' he confided, dropping his voice a little lower. "'She is insane, insane, it seems, through a shock for which he was responsible. She might have been the only stumbling-block, and she is as though she did not exist. It is a great scheme,' the doctor murmured enthusiastically. "'It is a wonderful one. That great and unrevealed power, Schmidt, which watches over our country and which will make her mistress of the world, must have guided this man to us. My position in England will be unique. As Sir Everard Dominey I shall be able to penetrate into the inner circles of society, perhaps even of political life. I shall be able, if necessary, to remain in England even after the storm bursts. Supposing, the doctor suggested, this man Dominey should return to England. Von Ragestein turned his head and looked towards his questioner. He must not, he pronounced. So, the doctor murmured. Late in the afternoon of the following day, Dominey, with a couple of boys for escort and his rifle slung across his shoulder, rode into the bush along the way he had come. The little fat doctor stood and watched him, waving his hat until he was out of sight. Then he called to the orderly. Heinrich, he said, you are sure that the Herr Englishman has the whisky? The water bottles are filled with nothing else, Herr Doctor, the man replied. There is no water or soda water in the pack. Not one drop, Herr Doctor. How much food? One day's rations. The beef is salt? It is very salt, Herr Doctor. And the compass? It is ten degrees wrong. The boys have their orders? They understand perfectly, Herr Doctor. If the Englishman does not drink, they will take him at midnight to where His Excellency will be encamped at the bend of the Blue River. The doctor sighed. He was not at heart an unkindly man. I think, he murmured, it will be better for the Englishman that he drinks. End of chapter 2 Recording by Tom Weiss